0: My name is Trip Gorman, and welcome to episode one of a two-part Sunia VC series about investing in Argentina. Despite having many unicorns like Lobant and Mercado Libre, Argentina is often looked down upon by international investors. And for good reason, Argentina has among the world's highest taxes, highest inflation, and most restrictive foreign currency regime. But through these two interviews and an accompanying executive summary, I hope to ease some of these fears by outlining the legal and operational strategies to both circumvent and even take advantage of these aforementioned worries. In this episode of SMIA VC, I spoke with Tomas Brown, a general partner at Calais Ventures, a Buenos Aires-based, Latin America-focused venture capital fund that invests in early-stage technology companies that have a commitment to apply innovative solutions in emerging markets. Tomas held various roles at Banco Galicia as well as Lending Front, he earned a Master's of Science in Management from Stanford University, and he was also the CFO of Enigma Art, an investor in Osana Salud, and is currently on the board of advisors of Nihilus. Tomas is also on the board of Banco Galicia. This episode, we discussed why growing tech companies in Argentina don't really pay that much tax. We talked about taking advantage of Argentina's cost-effective workforce, the growing venture capital and technology community in Este, Uruguay, where Tomas currently resides, and how multiple government-mandated exchange rates affect venture capital and technology in Argentina. We discussed all this and more in this episode of SMEA VC. Okay, Tomas, could you start by telling the audience a bit more about your work history up to and including your current role at Clay Ventures? Uh, well, first of all, thanks, Trip, for for the invitation. Glad to be here. Um,
1: I started my career, my career in banking. I studied economics, I, uh, and I started working at one of the top uh, private banks, uh, private commercial bank in Argentina, it's called uh, Banco Alicia. I worked there for around seven years, um, where I started working in branches, selling uh, uh, products to to consumers, um, individuals first, and then I started working with the with SMBs companies. Uh, Kind of where I started falling in love with with small businesses as a um, as a type of client in banking, a very complex and interesting uh, segment for banks. I worked in the credit department, understanding kind of the the, the, the way banks grant credit a lot. That was around two thousand and eight, um, and there was a lot to improve, and a lot has 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 changed since that time in terms of. Uh, the way we evaluate credit for small businesses. And I ended up being the, the head of, of marketing for small businesses in, in, in Banco, Galicia. That was before I went to Stanford. Um, I went to do um, a full-time exec program at Stanford in 2015, 2016, with the idea to stay working in the U.S. In, in any kind of technology, in any kind of fintech startup. And I had looked at a couple of them. Um, and the program was amazing then I can tell you more about that and I ended up well meeting a lot of interesting people there in, in Silicon Valley um, founders that had gone to Stanford and other others that came from Argentina uh, started hearing and learning about crypto and I ended up working at a at a fintech startup uh, called Lending Front that uh, provides technology for banks to originate small business lending so it kind of going deeper in in terms of SMBs and banking and I started working there as a onboarding manager and I ended up uh, being the director of products which is fascinating I love product development and I learned a lot at that stage Um, and my last and and current uh, role is is I I co-founded Calibre Ventures with a group of of friends We, we do very early stage VC investing and a couple of years ago, I joined a, a Banco Galicia's a group of Financiero Galicia's board uh, uh, of shareholders. I'm, I'm there representing my family, uh, which we are one of the of the shareholders of the bank. So I love fintech. I I'm I love banking. I love SMBs, and and now I'm loving BC.
0: There we go. I want to talk all about the the different parts of your work experience, and then I also want to talk about your thoughts on Argentina as an as a as an economy, as a place where people are doing venture capital and technology. Uh, I want to ask some fun questions first. You're from uh, where are you from, and then where do you live now, and why do you live there? And tell me about the venture capital community and tech tech community in both where you're from and where you live now.
1: Awesome. I'm from Buenos Aires. I lived all of my life in, in Buenos Aires, Argentina, except. Once when I was studying economics, I went to Barcelona for an exchange six months. And then when I was studying and working in, in the US uh, that I mentioned before. Uh, right now I'm, I'm living in, 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 in Uruguay. Uh, it's more like a, a, a life decision for, for a couple of years. Not, there's nothing related to professional nor to fiscal or, or tax incentives. It's just um, we have a, a newborn and we are enjoying life here. Um, In terms of tech ecosystem, um, it's been interesting. A lot of Argentinian founders have moved to to Uruguay. Um, There are several reasons for that, and you should probably ask one of these founders uh, why. But there's a mixture between quality of living and and taxes uh, incentives or or the taxing uh, scheme of Argentina, which is uh, a little bit more expensive than, than the Uruguayan right now. Um, but there's a great ecosystem here in Eleste of founders and interesting people trying to innovate and and do
0: interesting stuff. I love it. So I want to get into this tax idea, this the some of the rules and regulations that make Argentina the economy that it is. Um, the 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 overarching theme of this part of the series is I want to talk about how foreign exchange rates, how high taxes and how inflation affect venture capital and technology. And I know one of those pieces that we've discussed in the past is this idea of Argentina as a cost center. Could you elaborate on this idea of Argentina as a cost center?
1: Mm-hmm. So if you think um, about how startups grow and eventually reach an IPO, you um, let's imagine that it's a startup that that is doing business in the countries in in South America, That is not a SaaS solution for the US, for example, right? So you need to create a team, uh, build a product, deploy the product in Mm -hmm. a country, see if it works and start growing, and then eventually regionalize. So a way to think about it, um, if you're gonna start a product in a Latin American country, you need to find good and let's say, inexpensive talent, Uh, And in that sense, Argentina is an ideal place, right? Because you have awesome founders, you have good, very good technical talent, and you have uh, a cheaper place to try a product, right? In terms, let's think about digital advertising or paying uh, Facebook ads, for example, I'm sure right now uh, Buenos Aires or Cordoba are cheaper than Sao Paulo, right? So um, if you're gonna start a company so Think about the earlier stages, right? Building a team is expensive. Trying out your product is expensive. And a place like Buenos Aires or any like Córdoba, Mendoza, any any big city in in Argentina, in my opinion, is an ideal place to to test your your product and test your business model. And eventually, you're gonna regionalize if you're you're going for a for a, for a bigger uh, company. Uh, but the idea is not new. I mean, Globant, that is an amazing company, started in, in 2000 and near the, after the, the Argentinian crisis of 2001, they started with the idea of hiring good technical uh, talent in Argentina for the world. And then from there, from Argentina, they expanded to to the world, right? So
0: there's something similar in terms of building startups. Okay, so you talked a little bit about the idea of the market. the 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 cost of doing business here is pretty uh, inexpensive. when it when, when we're talking about expenses, How does inflation affect venture capital and technology in Argentina? Um,
1: so the, the, I think there are two things, two ways uh, inflation can impact. So, of course, there's one that is bad. So, if you're doing business in Argentina and you have a certain revenue, and suddenly the 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 it's it's more the devaluation of of the peso, which is. Inflation is basically the devaluation of your, of your currency. So in terms of dollars, you're going to be making less revenue. So that is bad for any startup, right? Um, but at the same time, again, if, if you think of Argentina, about an ideal place to build your tech and product uh, team, the peso uh, becomes uh, cheaper in terms of, uh, of dollars. So you can, you can hire more and, and build cheaper. Uh, with, with the dollars that any, any company is gonna is gonna be funded in dollars outside of Argentina, and they're gonna enter the, 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 the money to Argentina, so they're gonna be able to to pay more. So I think that it's, a, it's a mixed uh, product and it and depends. If you are very concentrated doing business in Argentina, it's, it's very bad, the first impact. But if you are distributed at the, uh, across LATAM in terms of, of your business, but you're hiring mostly your team in Argentina, the, the, the overall impact can even be positive, right? Um, So I think uh, tech startups in a certain way are hedged to the Argentinian
0: problem with the currency. That's very interesting. I love that. I want to discuss more about the Argentine market in comparison to markets like Brazil, Colombia, and Mexico. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Interesting. So
1: from to simplify you have of course the market size right and in that regard argentina is very similar to colombia you have a very similar population around 50 million a relatively similar gdps argentina is a, a bit bigger than, than colombia but of course depending now how you measure it because argentina is, is more complex to, to measure but you have similar uh, countries where if you're building a um, a, a local business with, with a footprint in, in Latin America, you need to do something more than, than Argentina or Colombia, right? You need to expand probably to Mexico, to Brazil, or to other countries in LATAM. So those are t- particular countries where the market size is good enough to try to grow, to prove your product, and then to expand to, to, to other places. And then, of course, you have Mexico and Brazil, which are huge markets where you can build unicorns that are only serving uh, one country, um, but of course, each one has its complexity, right? Uh, Brazil, you need to know how to do businesses in Brazil. If you're a non-Brazilian founder, you will probably need to move to Brazil and start your your, your part of your team there. So, uh, and one last, thing, in terms of kind of the ecosystem, maybe 15 years ago, Argentina used to be much more advanced, and there used to be like a, a bigger network and, and more founders and more technical talent. I think that now has leveled up. Uh, Colombia has a rapi rapi mafia, Brazil has a lot of unicorns, Mexico also has a lot of unicorns, so I think that has been leveled up,
0: and and I I will say the bigger difference is the, the market size. I love it. I want to talk about some examples of companies that have done this, you know, maybe even public examples, because the idea of this series is to kind of educate the people who aren't in Argentina, who aren't in the ecosystem, and who might not understand it at all. So what are some examples of companies that maybe people might know or that they might not know on how they kind of started in Argentina and then grew across Latin America? Awesome. I mean, you have the, the um, kind
1: of the, the original uh, unicorns from Argentina. I mentioned Gloant. That is one very clear example of how good and less expensive talent from Argentina can grow to become a huge company. And that is kind of a, an amazing example. mercado Libre is, is very similar, right? Our gallery started in, in, in Buenos Aires uh, right after, or very close to, 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 the, to the 2000s, selling one product. And now they're across LATAM, very strong in Brazil also. so um, But with the same idea, Argentinian talent, building something from Argentina and, and, and exporting. And in our case, we have some companies in our portfolio that are doing the same. We have, a, for example, Mova a last mile logistic company that started in Argentina, in, in Buenos Aires. And then they did Chile, they did Uruguay, they did Peru, they did Colombia and and they're doing mexico. so um and and the other Central American countries. So it's kind of a a clear play. and and I think as Argentinian, we have the talent to do so. and and we've seen examples in the past, and we still see examples in it currently.
0: I want to discuss some of the mechanisms that companies use in Argentina to um not just get totally burned by the exchange rate the taxes and the inflation uh, you mentioned in the past on in one of our offline conversations about deal.com how do companies in latin america and argentina leverage deal.com
1: so the 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 whole kind of um, currency complexity and prohibitions to buy um, or differentiated markets uh, and dollar prices everywhere uh, it, it seems very, very complex for anyone who's not from Argentina, but Argentinian founders know how to deal with that, and uh, they know how to get around uh, to, to be able, again, to get funded in the U.S. and, and, and bring the, the, the value to Argentina in an efficient way and and, and contract efficiently their, their workers. So DIL is one of those workarounds where uh, typically, let's say, an LLC or a C-corp in, in, in Delaware, which is the, the the mother company of any any startups and they have operational companies in other countries but what what deal lets you do is you can start with a with a with a holding company in Delaware and you can start testing your product without even incorporating in Argentina right you can you can hire a team as contractors and start building and eventually of course if you grow and you have a big footprint in argentina and in colombia and uruguay in any of these countries you're going to incorporate a company and probably part of your staff is going to be uh, contracted as, as as employees locally but deals Deal lets you kind of hack that uh, that path without building uh, without needing to hire local lawyers and building local companies before you actually need to do so and then each company will will evaluate the risks and the and what is more convenient in terms of uh, employee benefits, and probably you're, you're going to need to to hire different people or and, and different uh, levels of your staff in different manners. But at least to start growing uh, regionally, Deal is, is and and on top another Colombian company are, are good products to to do to hire remotely without a great
0: complexity. So we're going to move on and talk about more about your work history, Calais Ventures, Stanford, everything like that. And I just want to ask one more question before we make that transition. Are there any other workarounds that you think are relevant to introduce or discuss, or are there any other components of this idea of Argentine startups working in an environment with inflation, high taxes and exchange rates that you think would be relevant to my audience?
1: Uh, I mean, again, to to stay with the main ideas, you have a develop, talking about Argentina, you have a developed ecosystem, good talent. Uh, in this context, and it has been also in the past, talent is 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 cheap for the quality it has, uh, or let's say cost effective, cheap sound doesn't sound very good. Um, and all the complexity that you can see if you read about Argentina, founders, mostly Argentinian founders know a, a way to work around it. For example, there's an official exchange rate, but you can also bring dollars to Argentina uh, legally in ways that uh, you, you have a higher exchange rate to, to get the dollars to Argentina. Uh, and there are lots of uh, advisors and service companies that enable that. Um, so I think, again, it, it looks very complex from the outside, but Argentinian founders know how to do it. And I think we, we will continue to build amazing teams and products from Argentina. To summarize, and and taxes really, if you think about taxes, startups. Is, let's suppose you incorporate in Argentina. Startups initially in the in the in the companies in each subsidiary lose money for the first five, ten, fifteen years. Even uh, probably Mercado Libre or Amazon were uh, had a, a negative bottom line for a lot of years. So you're not going to be paying any 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 income tax, for example. So uh, you need to know the taxing system in Argentina because there are sale taxes and, and some taxes that create distortion. But again, if you know the system, you're going to work uh, fine. You need to build a great product and, and grow your company and
0: and uh, expand to other regions, to other countries in the region. Amazing. I appreciate that. I want to move on and, and talk about Clay Ventures. Could you tell us about when it started? It, it predates a lot of the funds that people know about Argentina now. So I, I really want you to, to touch on that. And then what do you guys do differently?
1: mm-hmm so i mean if you look at VC in latin america again you have like uh, funds like CASEC, i mentioned uh, marco these guys are they have started when when the whole thing started in, in latin america they have awesome teams with analysts and and uh, they have raised a lot of money but then then you have funds for example in argentina like nxtp that they also started before uh, this wave of of Latin America becoming super fashionable, let's say, in terms of VC. But there, there was a lot of space. If you look at, I don't know, 2018, for example, there still was a lot of space uh, to, to build VCs. Uh, there was not enough capital in the region. Uh, there were not enough funds. Uh, you didn't have a lot of accelerators. You have a couple of the players I have mentioned and a lot of angels. Uh, but the system was, uh, let's say, undeveloped or underdeveloped. Uh, so Calais we, we, we were I think we had a good timing to launch the fund uh, we started deploying in 2019 and the region became kind of the, uh, the the cool kid on the block around 2020 2021 when the pandemic uh, uh, appeared so I think we, we had a good timing and in terms of doing things differently we we have a mandate to enter really really early in the companies uh, as early as possible and uh, the way we work is two partners get engaged with each of the companies we work with, and we try to help in a lot of ways. And uh, um, the good thing is each each one of us has experience. Uh, Rebecca is for example examples of, of two or three of our partners. Rebecca was uh, born in Korea, she was raised in Argentina, then she went to MIT, she funded companies, and, and she, she also founded uh, A VCs in the US. And that is a lot of experience that we can put uh, as a service to to help our startups, to help fundraising, to help with with the decks, to help with strategic feedback. In my case, I mentioned my experience. Uh, Juan, one of our partners, created a software development company in Cordoba with more than 500 people. He's an Endeavor entrepreneur. So uh, uh, I think we have accumulated a set of experience in the past. But mostly, we're willing to enter very, very early and uh, get hands-on and, and help our founders. And we try to have fun, which is also very important. So I think we're we, we build an, a, an interesting portfolio, um, and yeah, we 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 are trying to help our companies to to
0: keep growing and and uh, yeah, and keep doing cool stuff. So one of the questions that I've been asking to different VCs recently that I've been interested in is about the roles on boards of technology companies as advisors, as board observers, as board members. And one of the things that I think is particularly interesting about your background is you've experienced on an incredibly important multi-billion dollar banks board and you're working with them. So you might have an even like the best perspective on what it means to really be on a board and steer a ship from that unique role so i'd be interested to hear what are your thoughts on being a board member board advisor non-voting board member and what your role really is in that position
1: awesome first of all uh, i both my my experience in VC and my experience as a board member in galicia are relatively new so i wouldn't say i'm a black belt i'm starting and i'm learning uh, so with, with that said um I think the best thing that a board member can do is listen and take the trouble to look at the financials carefully, listen at what the founder is saying, um, provide feedback um, in a way that is that that doesn't feel, um, how to say it, we, we're never gonna give instructions to a founder, we're gonna listen and we're gonna provide our opinion in a respectful way. We're not in the kitchen, so uh, respect to the founder and, and feedback. Um, I mean, I think that the 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 point is trying to 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 be to provide critical feedback in a way that is not too intrusive. I would say that as a summary. And then when there are like um, conflicts or or um, let's say um, stressful moments for the startups, again, it's trying to not become a, an additional variable of conflict uh, for 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 the founding team. And for let's say for for the cap table in general, or so try to 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 bring conflict levels down and try to to provide yourself as a as a as a way for a solution and not as a way for a new problem, of course. And and I haven't experienced yet like situations where conflict is unavoidable, and there there's a lot of that in 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 in, in startups. So probably you should talk with one of the. Uh, VCs that have more experience and that is probably needs uh, management and you need to take hard decisions and you need to, for example, if you're going to change the CEO or if you're going to, I don't know, um, um, go through a legal path in in some cases, I I didn't have that experience. At this moment, I'm trying to to provide value, but by lowering conflict levels, providing uh, critical feedback and helping Uh, connecting people. That is also very important, uh, connecting with other investors, with other founders. Um, so that, that that is my experience at this point, and you can do a lot
0: of that. There we go. I want to I want to talk about more of your experience in the educational realm. You went to Stanford. Could you tell us a little bit about your time at Stanford?
1: Awesome. Um, I I went for a year. Uh, there's a program called MSX, which is a full time, uh, four quarters, um, and you get to have kind of a, a good mix of. Of of Stanford, Uh, let's say a a third of that is the GSB together with the MBAs. A third of of the of the time is specific um, courses for the MSX, and another third, which is amazing, is you can take classes anywhere in in all of the other schools. So in my case, uh, I I went to the engineering school for two different courses, including uh, a coding and uh, and a startup garage course that was also given in the engineering school with. A lot of guys from uh, the engineering um, uh, faculty, so that was uh, really good to 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 connect with people that are from different countries, different cultures, and different backgrounds. And I would say in general, it uh, that kind of the part of the teachers were VCs. I don't know Andy Radcliffe from Wellfront. Uh, amazing classes where, for example, um, Rob Siegel uh, offers a class where each each uh, day. He invites a different founder we had founder from google Android, wikipedia uh, really amazing top level companies and, and top level founders taking questions from the from the students and and that is kind of very nourishing also it was a good uh, opportunity we, we created a, a fintech club and we started visiting uh, amazing companies we went to create karma when it was still not what it is today it was of course it was amazing we went to to visit Wense Casare from Sapo. And what else? We had we had five five or six companies of that level, uh, where you could really um, kind of get into interesting questions beyond what you read in 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 LinkedIn, and that that provides a lot of value for anyone who's looking for a job in the US and is
0: getting to to connect more with with, with technology in general. That is incredible. You, you've invested in some Argentine, Latin American tech companies. One of them is Osana Salud. Could you tell the audience more about your investment in Osana Salud? Uh,
1: really, I mean to 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 take um, basically. Andres is a friend of mine, so that's uh, there was some rational and and uh, kind of uh, part of my expertise was used there. But mostly, I invested in a friend who I knew. Is extremely capable and uh, was building something interesting. Uh, after I invested, uh, Andres and Jorge, which are the founders, pivoted to to build a SaaS company. Before that, they were a, um, a health insurance company for for the low end, providing only uh, primary care, which is something that is illegal in Latin America. And there were there were a lot of reasons why that would not uh, uh, succeed. And actually, he had to change the business model, but. Uh, kind of a good lesson is if you know someone personally who is really talented and really committed and has a great background, you should invest regardless of the business model because uh, very smart people are going to end up pivoting and building something amazing, anyways. So that is kind of a, a good learning that for sure I, I think it's a good advice for anyone who is investing. Like if you know AAA founders which you know personally, uh, even if you think what they're building is is, is not viable. You should invest in them anyway. Um, but yeah, and, and, and I still uh, talk with Andy uh, regularly, and I think they're building something that is long term. Then General Catalyst entered to the cup table and they're building infrastructure for health. Kind of taking, they raise a lot of money, so they have a lot of time to build it correctly. So I think they have a great future.
0: That is amazing. So finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question with uniquely simia VC twist. What important truth about Argentina or Latin America do very few people agree with you on?
1: I don't know. I think I think it was more contrarian. Uh, VC in Latam was more contrarian twenty years ago. Um, so so when when the first VCs invested in Mercado Libre in in Gloant in Outzero, I think those guys were really being contrarian. I think right now uh, being contrarian is uh, well the market adjusted but maybe a year ago being contrarian I think we did a lot of that is passing on a lot of deals because valuations were ridiculous, were too high um, right now I think the, the the market is more accommodated I'm not sure I'm, I'm answering your question but I I think this is a moment of, of adjustments where there's not a mainstream opinion about uh venture capital in Latam. like uh it makes sense that there are a lot of funds maybe there, there's too many right? Uh, And that is uh, complicated for funds. Uh, Valuations are not as high. And so I think we're at a moment that the mainstream opinion is not clear in Latin America. Uh, For example, fintech was a mainstream, in my opinion. I think it's going to be more challenging building huge things in fintech. So maybe that that can be a point. Um, Like the Mercado Pagos are not going to be so frequent, uh, I think, looking forward. I think we're going to see more niche solutions for for SMBs and for companies and not so... The new banks for Mercado Pagos building huge uh, financial uh, services I think are going to be more specific uh, looking forward. Maybe that can be the contrarian thing. So anyone who's saying like uh, the next 10 or 20 years uh, in the time are going to be all about fintech, maybe I can challenge that idea saying that uh, we're going to see more specific niche solutions for different segments and not these amazing, huge companies like uh, Nubank and Mercado Pago. But we we'll, we we'll need to talk in 10 years to see if I'm if I'm uh, missing out or or saying something uh,
0: erroneous there. We will certainly circle back in 10 years to the day and discuss that. But I think that's a great answer. Tomas, thank you so much for coming on the SimiVC podcast today. I very much appreciate your time.
1: Thank you, Trip, and I, and I want to congratulate you for, for the journey you're doing in, in Latin America and VC. I think you're young, you're passionate about what you do, so you're going to have a, a great future. Probably a lot of VCs that are in Latin America are going are gonna to be interested in, in you because you're, you're a great networker, you, you, you like to learn, you like to you ask, ask those questions, so that's, uh, I think that is a great asset. Well, Tomas, I appreciate that.